Hi, this is Adam Carroll, host of the Build a Bigger Life podcast. In speaking and traveling all over the world, I meet some of the most interesting people. When I meet someone who embodies what it means to me to be the architect of their own life, I invite them to be on the show. The interview you're about to hear is one of these people, someone who's choosing life over lifestyle, pursuing more of what they love to do and less of what they have to do. The blueprint to get you doing more of what you love is available for download at buildabiggerlife.com. Now, on to the interview. Hey, Life Architects, it's Adam Carroll here with another episode of the Build a Bigger Life podcast. On the show with me today is one of my favorite human beings on the face of the earth. Her name is Amanda Boleyn. She is a freelance consultant. She is the co-founder and the amazing host of the She Did It Her Way podcast, which is all about female entrepreneurs and people who are just bad-assing their way through lives. She's also a blogger at thealignmentproject.co. She's going to share with us today a little bit about what it takes to go out on your own and to build a bigger life as a freelance consultant, blogger, and podcaster. Amanda, one of my favorite human beings, thanks for being with me. Adam, thank you for having me. I'm so excited here with you today. Me too. Me too. Um, so you know the way this goes. We start every show the same way. Uh, what do you love about your life right now, Amanda? Oh my gosh. I think there's a ton to name about it. And when I think about what I love about my life right now is the freedom and flexibility to have the space to constantly create and add value to whatever it is that I'm doing and just really design my life and my day in a way that I desire it to look like. You know, those two things that you mentioned right up front, freedom and flexibility have been sort of the cornerstone of most people's answers. When I start talking about, you know, what do you love about your life? We had a a gentleman by the name of um, Troy Whitman on the show the other day who is a teacher and he didn't say freedom and flexibility, but he did say the power to create. Mm-hmm. And I think there's like some similarities in that, but I got to ask you, was it always about freedom and flexibility for you? No. Well, and I think for being, um, in my late twenties and as a millennial, you, when you leave college or even going into college, you're not really sure what you want or desire from life. And so you go through college and you get out and that's when you really start hitting this real world. What do I want? And then that forces you to also really think about the things that you desire most out of life and coming to awareness that we only have such a short time here and you just want to make the most of it while you're here. I love it. What did, what did post-college like immediately post-college look like for you? I, so I graduated in 2010. I'm originally from Iowa, from Dubuque, but went to university, of Iowa, graduated in 2010. I studied finance and I got my entrepreneurship certificate while I was there. And I took a position with, within target stores as an executive team leader, picked up my stuff after I graduated and moved to West Des Moines, Iowa, where I started my first role there. So I went right into a corporate position out of college. And so that, that team lead within the store is basically like kind of a store manager or on the track to store manager, right? Yeah. I mean, especially within Target and the leadership role in working retail, I tell every single person, and I was only there for 13 months, but it is boot camp after you get out of 
out of college because they literally hand keys to a $65 million store to a 22-year-old. And then they say, by the way, here is your your floor plan. So I managed all the clothes, boys, girls, women, ready to wear. I had the jewelry, accessories, shoes, and you already go in feeling like you're drinking from a fire hose because that's the that's the motto where they throw enough at you, but they keep it so that you feel as if you are – there's a storm in the background if you can't hear that, AC. It sounds magical. Uh, <laughs> it's crazy. But they – they give you so much responsibility, especially as a 22-year-old coming out of college. It was probably one of the best experiences, but – and I'll continue through with, with the story – is I – they, it was grueling hours. You were working every other weekend. My store was a problem performing store in operationally and then also in talent wise. And then I so happened that in my work center, I had a lot of bottom performing team leaders that I was managing and leading at the time. So but about five months in, I remember, and Adam, we had met, I want to say September 2010. And I had seen the way that you had lived your life. And for me, I stopped the one day when I was working after like 12 hours and I looked around and I'm like, is this, is this it? Like, is this what people do after they graduate college and they go into the real world? And I remember thinking that with, I just remember thinking like this, this, this can't be it. Like this is, this is not it. And I knew that seeing you and knowing you that it was possible to live a life that you had designed and to get up and, and genuinely enjoy what it is you what it is you do every day it was at target and this is nothing against target and i think a lot of people experience this and a lot of other jobs regardless of what profession you're in i would wait till the last minute possible to get out of bed to get to work and that is not me i am an early riser but i could not stay in my bed any like any longer because I had pushed it as, as close to the time that I needed to be in there because even though I love the people I worked with, the work itself was not something that I could see myself in in long term. And it was about – I was there a total of 13 months and probably about month seven was when I really started questioning what is the next step and stage in my life. And I kept a lot of that – personal like I just kept it to myself aside from like sharing it with people like you because I knew that if I would share it with other people they would go hey Amanda great but guess what wake up welcome to the real world this is what happens when you graduate like you're living in la la land if you think it's possible because I've had people tell me that and I and I keep I go hey and I smile and I shake my head and then I'm like I try not to let that impact me because I knew again what was possible with you and through that I had wavered so much on the decision of when do I leave Target? Do I want to leave Target? Because Target was a lucrative position for me straight out of college to be in. It paid well. The benefits were great. And then there was also the succession plan as a hypo and being able to move in and manage your own store and make six figures by the time you're 26. And to me, I'm not an extremely risk-adverse person. So at, at that time, and I was also 24, I didn't have a lot of my plate aside from student loans, which was still a significant amount. But the way that I worked backwards, I really just questioned myself. I said, well, what's the worst that could happen if I decide to leave Target? And it really came down to the fact that I would have to go get a job somewhere else or maybe even move back home with my parents, but it wasn't going to kill me. And so 
I had wavered, and I call this the lead up, when you first start questioning whether or not you want to leave where you're at and go out and explore something different. The lead up is a really tricky emotional time because right when you start questioning it, you'll find yourself going back and forth. One day you'll go into work and you have this amazing day and you're like, I can totally do this and stick through it. Yeah, I get paid well and you justify it that way. I totally justified it that way. And then you'll go in and you'll have a crap day and you're like, dang it, I'm done with this. I'm over it. I want to get out. And you just go back and forth and it is so energy and emotionally exhausting because you just don't know what you really, what the decision, you haven't really decided that you wanted to take that leap. And I remember two months prior to me leaving, um, I had worked 13 out of the 14 past days and they were all at least 10 hours a day, if not more. Oh my gosh. It was crazy. And that's why I say it was literally boot camp after college. And it was fantastic. I, I learned so much from that. But I was sitting at home in West Des Moines, Iowa at the time when I lived there and I was sitting in the dark and I was eating my dinner. I'd worked a 12 hour day. It was a Monday and I just broke down. And I'm like, that's it. I'm not going to let, I will not let fear paralyze me of saying, well, what will I do next? What, what will happen? I will just let it appear because it's after you make the decision that you fully believe wholeheartedly, it's amazing what happens and what things open up. And I had made that decision that day, that Monday that I said, okay, that's it. Regardless if I go in and I have a good day, I've made the decision that I am ready to move on because the whole time you're thinking, have I learned enough? Am I taking the easy road by leaving? What will people think of me? What am I going to do financially? How am I going to support myself? And all these things come into play. But then when you make that decision, it's it's this you get so clear on what you choose to do and you just desire to go for it. And I made that decision on a Monday. I had written my resignation letter, I think following Thursday and I didn't put a date on it, but I had written it as so I could literally walk in and turn it in any day that I wanted to. And luckily I did talk to um, someone who was like, well, you probably shouldn't just walk in and quit without a backup plan. And I said, okay, you're right. But I was, I wanted to, I remember crying. I'm like, nope, I just want to fuck <laughs> out. I want to leave. And I I'm going to be in khakis and red for the rest of my life. If I don't do this. Yeah. Which, oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I don't own a pair of khakis. <laughs> I intend not to choose the color red, but let me, let me ask you a quick question, Amanda, because yeah. during this process, and I've talked to a lot of people who've gone through this mental, uh, you know, calisthenic process that, that you were going through. And for most people, they make the decision and it sounds like for you, you were pretty serious about doing it. Did you begin to notice things that were in support of that decision from a positive standpoint right away? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, right when I made the decision, I had started taking action because up until that point, I was always wavering and I wasn't, it, I mean, I don't, I mean, if you've ever read Tim Ferriss's four hour work week, he always says there's never a perfect time. Like the stars never fully align. And that's when you actually have to just make the decision and get outside your comfort zone. And when I made that decision and I wrote my resignation letter, I had taken the first step and I had reached out to someone else who used to work at Target who at then she was a recruiter at Wells Fargo through a third party agency. And she was the first person that I had reached out to because I confided in her. And then from that interaction came the next stage of my life. But it was 
the process and how fast it moved after I had made that decision was probably no more than a month or six weeks at that time. It was, it was, it was, it was, I don't know. I don't have any words, but I, that I'm a, I'm a very much like a universe. You put it out there, you make the decision and things will appear. And appear they did for you, right? I mean, you ended up doing some independent consulting, consulting work. Um, you know, talk a little bit about some of the projects you were on and what you learned through that process. Yeah, I well, so after when I left Target, I took a third, I took a free, technically it was a contract position with Wells Fargo through a third party agency. And so when I moved into that role, that was actually the bigger, the biggest jump before I went out on my own because I went from having a significant salary at Target, having to take $10,000 pay cut and still figure out how to make it with living on that. But then also there was no guarantee that my position as a recruiter would be needed in the next month, in the next six months, because it was an interim position and there was no PTO. I didn't have any benefits. And so really you have to, that opportunity gave me space to go out and really take time. I feel like I got half my life back because I got 20 hours back to my life when I went to, um, Wells Fargo. But in between there is when I went to a conference called Succeed Faster, which Adam, you and lovely Tim had founded. And there it was that I met Chad Carden, who is the founder of the Carden Group, who you also wrote a a book with. But I had seen what Chad was doing and he was working with organizations and doing motivational speaking, but also training and talking about behaviors and leadership that I saw him speak and I immediately said, that's what I want to do. So I networked with Chad while I was at Wells Fargo. And then there came an opportunity in May 2012 when he called me up and said that there was an opportunity to work with AT&T inside their call centers teaching them sales. And he said, do you want to see it at the table? And at that point, when I was with Wells Fargo, I was, I'd been at Wells Fargo for eight months. Without hesitation, I said, absolutely yes. And it was a Thursday night, hung up the phone. He's like, great. See you in San Diego in a week. Book your tickets. So I walked in on a Friday. I said, I'm leaving. Here's my week's notice. And then a week later, I was out in San Diego. So since then, and that was through, through almost three and a half years ago, I've had the great pleasure and opportunity to work on a myriad of projects as a freelance consultant from sales training to organizational culture, employee engagement to communication training and have been able to work with end clients like AT&T, JP Morgan, Weight Watchers and a couple hospitals across the country and globe and I if someone were to if they were to ask me had I thought my life would be the way that it is today, I would have said no, I would have had no idea. I knew that it would have been great, but I couldn't have painted this picture. Not so- to the way it has panned out. You mentioned earlier that you were you were somewhat risk averse early on. Like I yeah. think you probably grew up in a household where you know taking risks just wasn't celebrated, right? We've talked about that a little bit. Yeah, well, and I actually so I was risk. Adver- I think I, I would say I was not as risk adverse as most people, and I say that because I was lucky enough that I grew in a up in a household where. My parents, their expectations and educational background of my siblings and I, which I have an older brother and a younger sister, were to do uh, better than what they had. I think any parent hopes that for their their children. And um, 
my parents had were my siblings and I are first generational college students. And so when it came to going to college, my parents, it was a it was a financial decision that each of my siblings and I made to pay for 100 percent of college because it just the money wasn't wasn't there. And so all my life, my parents have raised us to be independent. And so anytime I made the decision to go out on my own or make the decision in the leap, it was, oh, my parents were actually very supportive in it because they thought, well, you figured it out this far, you'll be fine. So I actually had they their support because they were almost just naive. They didn't really understand what was going on, but they they saw it and they're like, okay, well, you've, you've done well so far, so you'll figure it out. We're not worried. So I was very fortunate in that, in that aspect. I love it. I love it. Speak to this a little bit, Amanda, for people who are listening to this and thinking, well, that's great, but you just threw yourself into a bunch of industries you knew nothing about. <laughs> what, what do you tell people? I mean, like, if someone says, I, I could never do that, or I don't know how to do that, how do you coach someone on, you, you have to go try, or you have to learn your lessons, you know, kind of build your plane on the way, or your parachute on the way down kind of thing? Absolutely. Yeah, I would definitely. So a couple of things is one, um, a lot of people and what I've noticed in the people that I've worked with, especially when they want to leave where they're at and maybe go out on their own, have never really explored what gives them joy or what are they really good at. They just always had this path mapped out for them. And so it is scary when you're trying to figure out exactly what it that you're doing and being 24 and walking in and, and facilitating sales training. When I had never taught sales, I had never um, experienced any sort of sales training myself. It's one of the, you just have to learn as quickly as you can, but there's always a process to everything. And so for me, it was really identifying what is the process of learning and what is the process of teaching. So I would say always learn as much as you can and immerse yourself in whatever it is that you're doing, but also never lose sight of whatever process there is that exists underneath what you're doing. Hmm. I love it. Um, and I love that idea of being, being, being willing to learn quickly. I think that's one of the things that today college graduates need to understand is that companies expect them to learn quickly and to be good leaders. So have critical thinking skills, be good leaders and really learn whatever is being put in front of them quickly. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that that's being taught. Do you think that's being taught today? Do I think critical thinking and being a leader is being taught? Gosh, you know, I I look back on my education and I study finance simply because I wanted to learn about finance, but I knew that I was never cut out to sit behind a desk and run numbers and Bloomberg and all that. But I know that my entrepreneurial sh- um, entrepreneurship certificate is what really allowed me to flex to a lot of the thinking and, and what I do now because it was actually hands-on learning and you were out in the community working with actual clients when you're going through these classes. I would say that there are definite opportunities in the educational undergrad space to immerse more students in a didactic process when it comes to learning. And and I say that, and I only come from it from my experience having now walking into organizations and teaching sales or might be teaching communication. You have like humans and as individuals, we learn in a didactic layered process. So you learn something, you you read it, you get it, you understand the knowledge. 
but then you have to go out and apply it. And I think a lot of times we spend so much time just simply learning and acquiring knowledge without any real application layered in to where that's when a lot of individuals and people come out of college and they start working in their field that they study and they're like, what the heck? I don't even... I, I don't I don't like this. And then they go from being a chiropractor or go from being a, um, a physician's assistant to being a real estate agent because they find out that that's what they enjoy more. So I think there could be a little like a lot more exploratory options in understanding what is it that you're good at? What's your gift and how do you want to apply it and add value to the world in undergrad or those conversations definitely should be happening if they're not. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I most appreciate about you, though, is that, um, and bear with me on this analogy. So (laughs) did you know that years and years ago, they used to sell Legos, but they were not in regular kits. It was just, you would get a a big bag of assorted Legos. And I remember getting these as a kid and you would just build things, you know, from your imagination. And there was never a right or wrong way of doing it. You just built. And today, all of the Legos are sold I would say 99.9% of them are sold in kits where you follow it to the letter and it shows you exactly how to build those kits. And what the way the analogy that I'm getting to here is I find your career to be this mixed bag of Legos that you figured out how to put together a really cool career out of. And, and it's all the things that you're doing. You begin to learn and acquire skills and nurture and mold and shape because, you know, now you're, you're, you were the co-founder and the host of the She Did It Her Way podcast. Um, you're blogging for the alignmentproject.co. You're still freelance consulting. You're now consulting with uh, various companies and, and um, even events and things like that. I know you've done a lot with the blogging uh, convention. And so I'm just curious when, and let's go with one of them. She Did It Her Way. How did that all come about and what made you decide that was a focus for you and, and why you wanted to do it? Yeah, that well, and I think that a lot of times, especially when you're in a a freelance, a solopreneur, you have more freedom and space and time to create and to see opportunities and just to go after it. And the She Did It Her Way podcast came out of having some downtime in my schedule because I wasn't traveling as much. And that we, I launched it with two other uh, friends of mine, Tess Wicks and then Molly Daly. And we, that actually came out of back in the fall of 2013, the name she did it her way. I never knew what it was going to be as a podcast, but the name came out then. And then all of 2014, I was using software on record for Skype, but I, it had never really come to fruition at that point. And then it was probably a year ago at this time in September, 2000. 14 that I thought, well, if I have this free time, like why not interview women who are entrepreneurs and gone out and done it their way and then share the stories with other people? Because I know if I'm curious, there's got to be other people who are also curious. And I am a lifelong learner. I don't think I'll ever learn everything as that I want to learn, but you just have to keep you got to keep seeking that information and seek how to grow, which is alignment project. I I'm a firm believer that you always have to be growing because if you're not, not that you'll die, but you'll become stagnant. And then you just become the same person you were yesterday, the same person you were six months ago. And I mean, I think it applies with everything, whether it's your work, personal life, relationships, that, and in business is if you're not doing things to better yourself, to grow, then you're not 
aligning yourself with this world, which is where then people start feeling that icky feeling in their stomach because they feel as if something is off. Mm. And how are you now? Is that icky feeling gone? Yeah, I, I mean, the icky feeling is gone. But I tell you, I again, like it always, it creeps back in because if it, your situation where you are today will always, it, your life is ever changing. And so that's why you have to be changing and growing with your life. And then when you're not, and you feel as if you're off kilter or maybe not aligned, then it's what do you need to do to figure out where you need to go next in your next stage of life? And I think a lot of people have and including myself, I mean, I've been there before where you ignore that icky feeling because it's easier to, to just ignore it and suppress it and to say, oh, I don't want to do with that because if I listen to it, I might actually be scared of the actions and steps I need to take to move myself in the direction of where it should be going or I feel that it needs to be going. So for the, the benefit of the listeners, Amanda, you had... Um, I want to go through kind of your situation when you decided to break off on your own and, and, you know, you left Wells and went the consultant route. Um, you had student loan debt, right? Yes. And financially, were you super well prepared for making that leap or where, where were you at? Oh my gosh. How do you justify it? And what, what have you had to do over the past few years to really put yourself in the right situation? Yeah. Well, I, and I had a significant chunk in, tunes of the mid 50,000. And so when I left, I, and I didn't have that much in savings. And so again, it was that choice of when I left from Target into Wells Fargo and it was more of an unknown, it was, what is it that's comfortable to me? Because that will be different for everyone. And some people are more risk adverse and some people need X amount of dollars in their savings and some people don't. And I would say, Going back to the process of getting to where you want to go, let's say if you want to be a freelancer, and I always, I call this the lead up, the leap, and the land. A lot of times people see someone who leaves their job and goes out on their own, but what they don't see or they fail to recognize most times is that there was a lead up process. And like I look at my lead up process and I say my lead up process was almost a year because it was from the moment when I met Chad back in 2011 in, in July to when I left in May 2012. And so it's being patient throughout that process. But when I had went out from Target to Wells Fargo, I didn't I didn't have a lot and I still carried a lot of student loan debt. And then when I left from Wells Fargo onto my own as a freelancer, my income had significantly gone up that I was able to hedge against any sort of risk if products didn't come in and still be comfortable to pay my bills. And that is probably one of the most scare is scare one of the scariest along with the um i mean that that's probably the toughest thing though because you if you go to work and you get your w2 paycheck every other week or every month whatever it might be don't see what your business or the company you work for, their financials behind the scenes. Mm. But as a solopreneur, you see what you are allocating towards yourself on a monthly basis or however you choose to pay yourself. And you see what the business is bringing in. And so that can cause you, you, you're wearing multiple hats and it causes this emotional shift. And then you really, I mean, I, my experience with that and especially being 24 and my income 
to going two and a half times, increasing two and a half times the amount that I was used to and living in the environment in which I grew up, I had this newfound cash flow that I got super excited about. And I was like, oh, I suppressed myself for so many years and having to pay for college. Like I deserve this time (laughs) at 24 to go out and do all these glorious things. And when I was back in that age in 2012, I made more money than I thought I'd ever make. um, And that I wouldn't see it until my thirties. And lot for a 24 year old to handle that. And also given the money blueprint, which if you've ever read the book secrets of the millionaire mind by Harv Ecker, like your blueprint and how you manage money and how you view money and your emotional attachment to money and your blueprint growing up has such an impact. And if you're not aware of it, the wiring and how you view it can really either be empower you or disempower you yeah. when it comes to finding yourself in a large sum of cash. No doubt. No doubt. And do you feel like your blueprint has changed significantly since then? Yes, absolutely. I came crashing down and it forced me to <laughs> to really, well, because, and I, I think, and I, again, I told you before we got on this that I was like, I feel like I might be vulnerable and it's going to be really crazy to let this out. But I, 2012 was a financially successful year. And what had happened is, is that being a freelancer, you're in this eat what you kill phase. So you can work as much as you want and earn as much as you want. And so if you have some years that you might not be earning as much as you have in the past, if you're not careful with it, you can easily attach your value and your worth to this world, to the amount of money that you bring home. And so whether you're a freelance or you're um, at W2 working for corporate, it's easy to build up a lifestyle to that number that you're bringing in. And I had always told myself that I would never do it, but it's, it's a lot different when it, when it happens. And so 2013, I got crazy. I went on like three major vacations. I had a great time. I sailed the British Virgin Islands. I went whitewater rafting. I mean, it was, it was nuts, but I had never given um, myself a fishbowl, which if anyone watched Ted, they watched Ted talks. There's a guy by the name of, Barry Schwartz, and he's a psychologist, and he gave a TED Talk back in 2005, and he said it was um, on the paradox of choice. And he said everyone should have a fishbowl. It goes back to economics that if you feel that you can, you don't have to make a choice and there's no trade-off, then what happens is, is every time you start doing things, the utility and the happiness of it actually it doesn't grow. It doesn't increase. You just become numb to it. And that's where I had found myself in 2000. 13. And I had also thought that I was going to financially bring in what I brought in in 2012. And that was not the case. And there was probably about five months where work was really slow. And it threw me into a tailspin that I would never want someone to ever experience. But at the time, it was really hard. And I'm a very faithful person. And I'm kept questioning and wondering why it was happening. But I also knew that it was because of my actions and my behavior. And so I always said that if that if if that story and that experience can inspire others to avoid that massive pitfall, then by all means, like take me through that experience. And since then, it was really ridding myself of a lot of things in my life and to get clear on what was it that I valued and where do I want to, how do I budget? Where do I want my money to go? What do I really need? And my roommate at the time, who's still my roommate, we moved. I completely downsized. I now live in a bedroom that was half the size that I lived in in 2013. I have half the amount of clothes that I had in 2013. And I, it's just, it's changed my entire outlook. 
Sounds like you're sounds like you're building a bigger life, Amanda. I was I was just going to say that. Like I yeah, I mean, I definitely feel like that and I feel like I'm building a bigger life because I'm not emotionally driven by I don't find myself desiring uh things that like hold me captive and I was reading a book from it was called The Rhythm of Life by Matthew Kelly and one of the things in his book he said that if you ever feel like you need something or if it has a hold on you and I mean he used the example like if you feel that you can't live without I don't know, clothes or it might be wine or it might be even even exercising like if you feel that you can't live without it and you need it then it owns you you do not own it. And mm. I really took that to heart with just inventory and everything in my life that if I feel as if I need anything, like need it, um, maybe aside from faith, but it, it definitely like puts it in perspective that once you, you're building this bigger life, you want to be able to have like, and I said before, freedom is a value of mine. And so in order to have that freedom, I want to, I want to be able to rid myself of the debt and the payments and anything that I feel that I need to do. That's awesome. That's so. awesome, Bo. Um, I have four rapid fire questions for you. You ready for these? Absolutely. Number of times you've thought to yourself, I just need a job since you left Wells. <laughs> <laughs> oh, probably at least a handful. I mean, that that will happen. It yeah. will happen. And then you'll sit on it for a week and you'll something will happen. You're like, wait a second. I would, what? Crazy. Like, because we even talked about that before. So, oh, yeah. 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 You do. You have those moments of weakness where you're like, ah, it would be so much easier if somebody just paid me every two weeks and I showed up at the same time and so on and so forth. Number yeah. of number of days per week, it's hard for you to get out of bed now. Zero. Nice. Number... I'm like super excited to get out of bed. <laughs> number of countries you've visited for work. Oh, I visited Two, three, if you include the U.S., but I went to Philippines in 2012, and then I was in China this past May. Nice. Yes. Nice. Uh, number of days we can find you on the lake per month. <laughs> oh, I'd, maybe like during uh, summertime, hopefully, I mean, a handful if you can, along with my phone that's at the bottom of the lake. <laughs> uh, it's such a good story. I won't have you share it now, but uh, yeah. for my listeners, please just send Amanda some good vibes that her phone works here in another day Please. or so. Um, but what three books do you recommend? I would recommend number one is Awaken the Giant with um, Awaken the Giant Within, and that's from Tony Robbins. He wrote it in back in I think like nineties, and it is all that information is still relevant today, and it's completely changed my mindset. Uh, the second one I would recommend is the um, Man's Search for Meaning. It is written by a psychologist who was a Jewish man at the time that was in the concentration camp. And it is an amazing book as well. It really makes you keep perspective. And the last one is The Untethered Soul. And that one's really good about separating you from your ego and understanding how you react to situations. And it's just, yeah, it was a really enlightening book. So those are the three. The Untethered Soul was mentioned a couple times in the last, I don't know, five interviews or so. So that's yeah. one that's definitely on my reading list. I got to read that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I read that when I was flying over to China, which you have 14 and a half hours flight from Chicago over to Shanghai, but it was, it was one of the most amazing books and it completely, it just changes the way about your ego and how you handle yourself. Very cool. Very yeah. Cool. I'll check that out. Yeah. All three of those will be in the show notes as well. Um, last question for you, Amanda, what does 
building a bigger life mean to you? Ooh, I build Well, and I've said it before, building a bigger life is about being like where you're at and, and being at peace at the same time, not having any needs or desires and just being free is building a bigger life for me. I love it. It's just, it's simple yeah. and and it's easy and I think I could live by that. So I think we make things so it. complicated as humans. So the 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 less complicated I, I can make my life, the better is what I think. Yeah, no doubt. And for those of you interested in finding out more about how to do that, if you go to buildabiggerlife.com, dot uh, com, there is a PDF that's downloadable from the site that is the blueprint of how to build a bigger life, and it goes through connecting with your core values and making money irrelevant. And there's nine core tenants altogether, which Amanda has mastered the majority <laughs> of at this point. Bo, how do we get more of you? How do my listeners find you? You can, I am active on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at Amanda Bolin or swing on by alignmentproject.co. And the She Did It Her Way, if you guys are interested to go to She Did It Her Way She Did It Her Way Yes, sir. Okay, perfect. And we can find you blogging at thealignmentproject.co. Yes. So that will that's where I will be sharing insights from the journey and other journey, other people's journeys from corporate America to solopreneurship, as I call it, um, or freelance and the ins and outs. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Go check her out on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter as well. She is the most photogenic woman you will ever <laughs> see in your entire life. And Bo, I appreciate you. I appreciate your friendship. And thanks for being on the show. I appreciate you too, Adam. Thank you so much. We'll talk soon. All right, girl. Talk soon. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the show. Every one of my interviewees has certain things in common, which I've summarized in the blueprint available at buildabiggerlife.com. It contains the nine core tenets extracted from each of the past interviews and will get you started building your own version of a bigger life. If you liked what you heard on the show, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. Until next time.